Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories. Special Edition is a production of Intercom Communications. Thanks for joining us on Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. It's going to be holiday time before we know it, and some groups have been working on the Thanksgiving holiday since, well, probably last year. That's because they're involved with Friends of the Poor and the Family to Family program. We're going to meet Linda Robeson. She is the director of Family to Family. It's been happening for many years in the city of Scranton, starting off with a community Thanksgiving dinner on Tuesday before Thanksgiving and then the next morning giving out Thanksgiving dinner baskets to those who may otherwise not have one. She has all the details and how you can still get involved. What is Family to Family? Family to Family is a food basket program that provides for a Thanksgiving dinner for families in need. Um, It was founded over 32 years ago by the Bernie family who saw people on the holiday who didn't have anywhere to go or a meal to go to. So they started with a small group of their friends to... um, collect money to try and provide baskets for other people. So it's expanded over the years in that we also provide baskets at Christmas and Easter in conjunction with um, Friends of the Poor. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, so we have several. That's great. Yeah. Now, since, again, you've been involved with this, how long have the Bernie family been? They um, left their program to us uh, four years ago. So this is the fourth year that Ryan and I have been running the program. And Ryan is? Ryan is my son, and we he got married last year, so I now have a daughter-in-law who is also helping us with the program, and her name is Mary Christine. Excellent. And you also have someone else that's a little bit too small to <laughs> yes, help. Yes, I do. <laughs> very, very exciting. Um, my son and his wife had a daughter on Friday, so her name is Lucy, and we are very excited to welcome her to the family. Excellent. So that And that's what this is all about. It is. It's about, um, it's truly about our family, not specifically the Robeson family, but just any family giving to another family. And, um, you know, we have dollar amounts that some people, you know, because $30 will feed a small family, $40 will feed a family of four to six, and $48 will feed a family of seven or more. Um but, you know, we want everybody, you know, at the holidays, everybody wants to come over. You want to have as much family and friends as you can. We don't want anybody to be alone. So uh, we provide everything that they need for a Thanksgiving dinner, um, from the turkey to pies and stuffing, all the vegetables, potatoes, you name it, we, we give it to them. There's also the Friends of the Poor dinner. There is. On Tuesday, we have a Friends of the Poor dinner where we serve um, anybody. You know, we have a lot of elderly and um, and people who are just alone, who just want to come. I mean, everybody is welcome. And we serve approximately 1,700 dinners on Tuesday night. 
and that's really Friends of the Poor's program. And then we do 1,700 takeout dinners. So, um, so yeah, that is an actual sit-down dinner. We have a band for them, entertainment. And, you know, on that night, we have hundreds of volunteers, and we encourage everybody to just spend time talking to people and getting to know them, making them feel welcome, and enjoying their dinner. And that's at the Scranton Cultural Center. Yes, that's also at the Scranton Cultural Center. And then that's on Tuesday, and then Wednesday morning... You're back in there on Wednesday morning with family to family. How does that work? Oh, my goodness. That works with a small army um, (laughs) because we started about 530 in the morning because we have about four truckloads of food that have to be unloaded. You know, and you're unloading 3,000, you know, 20-pound turkeys and everything. So luckily, Preps football team shows up first, and they unload all the turkeys and bag them for us. And then we just have a an army of volunteers that show up and help us put together all the tables and the food on all the tables, and they start packing bags because we start giving the dinners away fr- at 9 o'clock. But um, we try to have a nice atmosphere for them. We want everybody to feel welcome. We have coffee and donuts for them while they're waiting in line, and um, hopefully we'll have a couple of other things that might be a surprise that we can you know, just to make it a, a very good experience. And then after they get the meals, we also have um, the Terrari family and the Bannon family who collect coats, hats, and scarves, and so they can pick up whatever they need on the way out. Oh, so that's happening in conjunction. It is. They've been doing that for many, many years. So, And they have everything from children's coats to adults. And, um, you know, they can kind of go shopping and pick what they like and help themselves. As long as everybody's warm. Warm yes. and oh well-fed, that's yes. that's the main thing. It is. Now, for anybody who, because, again, I can remember going way back when, when all of this started with Sister Adrian and the Bernie family and how much it's grown and the best potato peeling party that they would have <laughs> for, right. for the day. I never got to take part in that, but I always wanted to. Do people have to sign up? Or do they have to get in touch with you? If somebody is hearing this for the first time, Linda, what would they what would they have to do? Honestly, they can just show up. I mean, we have larger groups from schools who certainly call us and just say, you know, we're going to be there from, you know, nine o'clock until 1230 or whatever. And that's fine. Um, But if you're individuals or small groups, you can really show up anytime. Um, Tuesday, we start with the potato peeling party at nine o'clock. And then on Wednesday, um, we really need volunteers more in the afternoon than we do in the morning. Um, we need volunteers probably from 12 until 5 because a lot of the school children come in the morning, um, but then they only have a half a day of school, so then they leave by 1230. So we're looking for more volunteers, like I said, in the afternoon. So if someone would like to get in touch with you and volunteer their time at this point, what would they do? They can contact us through our Family to Family website. Um, it's familytofamily.org or look on our Facebook page. It's very easy to contact us through that. Now, the other thing, too, is is monetary donations because, again, you are supplying and, and every year, I guess it's a sad thing to say that it increases. It's not like every year you're sitting there going, what are we going to do with all these turkeys? I'm sure that they all find some place to go for the holiday. So how can someone help with monetary donations? Well, you can go online and donate at familytofamily.org, or you can send a check to Family to Family, P.O. Box 13, Scranton, Pennsylvania, 18501. There's also, um, when you're talking about the uh, whole idea of the the Family to Family program, the dinner, there's also a, um, a service 
that goes on as well, there an is, interdenominational there's service? Yes, there's an interfaith prayer service that is happening on Friday the 16th, and that is at the Temple Hesed in Scranton, and that is a beautiful, beautiful get together. And this year, they're actually starting with a potluck dinner. And of course, everybody is welcome. Um, last year, it was just very, very interesting, because there were just so many faiths um, represented. And just to see the traditions of everybody is wonderful. I personally had never been in a temple before. And it was really a wonderful experience. And it's just to see how different people, you know, pray and support each other. And, and we're all in this together. And I think that you know, certainly during these very, oh, yeah, what is that yeah, word? I don't even know what word I want to <laughs> use for the times. But, you know, we really need to come together. And that is the one thing with family to family and friends of the poor. You know, we we are nonjudgmental. We welcome everybody. We don't need to know your story. All we want to know, I mean, personally, if you want to tell us the story, but we, you don't have to prove anything that, you know, that you need the meal or whatever, everybody is welcome. You know, we just want to make sure that everybody can experience a wonderful Thanksgiving dinner the same way that I want to go home and experience my Thanksgiving dinner with family and loved ones. And it's just a very peaceful, loving atmosphere. And uh, and it starts the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. Which is November 20th, yes. With at, the dinner. Yes. And then Wednesday with the food basket giveaway. And if you need volunteers, if you need anything like that, they get in touch with you how? Through familytofamily.org, or they, we do have a Family to Family uh, Facebook page, so they can also contact us through that. And if I just want to mention that if people are not available to help us during Thanksgiving, we also have a food giveaway in December right before Christmas, and we're always looking for volunteers for that. So if Thanksgiving is a little bit too hectic, we'd be happy to have you at Christmas. And that's the same similar? It is. It's also a food giveaway. Um, we give out about 1,800 dinners for Christmas. So it's not quite as many as Thanksgiving, and that is held at St. Mary's Center in Scranton. Is that on the same Facebook page as the uh, Thanksgiving? That would be as on Friends of the Poor. Friends that of the Poor. Friends of the Poor. Okay. Facebook so just so everybody, e- either get in touch with Linda through Family to Family or the folks at Friends of the Poor, That's because right. they seem to have all of the information, because you can talk about each other's events. Well, we do. And Family to Family, we work in conjunction. We really are like a, a program under Friends of the Poor. You know, the Bernies were very, very close to Sister Adrian. So it's always run together. I mean, we're not a separate entity. Our goal is just to help them raise money for their feeding programs. But um, Megan and I work very, very closely together with everything. And Megan is? Megan is the new CEO at Friends of the Poor. And uh, she's doing an amazing job. She's got a lot of energy and... Um, which she needed because, of course, to keep up with Sister Anne is. <laughs> is <laughs> yes, and, and original Sister Sneakers as well. <laughs> yes, absolutely. She, you know, had big steps to uh, to step, or she had big shoes to step into, and she's done a great job. So this sounds like it's almost like something that you're involved with. It's not just from, oh, the leaves have started to change now. We better start doing this. So it's something that sounds like it's a uh, year-round, if not, more than year-round program? It actually is a year-long program, you know, because you're trying to raise funds and get new sources of income. And, you know, Ryan Yeager at Shifts has to start pricing turkeys early in the season. You never really know what's going to happen. And he works very hard to get us the best prices that he can, you know, because our bill at Thanksgiving is over $100,000. So you want to get the best deals that you can. He works very hard on that. And the fact that we're trying to spread the word about you know, people don't just have food insecurities on the holidays. 
So, you know, Friends of the Poor does a great job with their food pantries and um, summer feeding programs and stuff. And with Family to Family, we're trying to come up with a food giveaway also for the summer program. We just have to decide what food is going to be healthy to give away in warm weather, you know. The Munley Law Firm has been very, very gracious in helping us with our advertising, um, and they help us with commercials and just spreading the word, too. So they've been an integral part of family to family, and uh, they've worked, I believe they've been there, you know, since close to the beginning with Sister Adrian as well. So, yes, they've been. And again, you have another family connection there because the Munleys, that's another big family. They are. They are. And they're all involved, you know, when they show up to because they will come and serve the dinner on Tuesdays. And yes, they take up a couple of tables just, <laughs> just with trying to serve and stuff. So, yeah, they've been a very wonderful part of the program for years. Well, Linda, as the uh, as the director of the Family to Family program and as the unofficial spokesperson today <laughs> for the Friends of the Poor as well, I'm going to give you the opportunity. You invite everyone to come and whether it's to help whether it's to support whether it's to partake i would love everybody to come down we're very grateful for all of the volunteers who show up tuesday and wednesday so if you have a couple of hours or if you only have one hour please come down and give us a hand and all are welcome for the tuesday dinner um it's a beautiful thanksgiving dinner uh with a band and everything which is wonderful We're just grateful to have everybody. We're grateful for all of the monetary donations and grateful for the help. Once again, thank you to Linda Robeson, the director of the Family to Family program, for bringing us the details on the upcoming community Thanksgiving dinner, as well as the interfaith service and the Family to Family program in Scranton. Now, don't go away. More special edition coming up. Welcome back to Special Edition. Pet lovers, oh, you know who you are. Whether your furry family member has four legs and a tail, maybe two legs with feathers and a tail, or no legs and no tail, well, maybe one that helps them swim through the water, or any of those in between. We do treat our pets as family members, and sometimes it's difficult, especially when we have to say goodbye. Denise Kumor is the Chief Executive Officer of Tracy's Hope Hospice Care Program and Rescue for Domestic Animals Incorporated. She's been taking care of animals for over 20 years and knows how difficult it is when you have to say goodbye. Her organization is there to help. The organization has a very unique title in the fact that it contains the word hospice. Yes. So exactly what does the organization do? Um, We do many things. Um, Hospice is very unique. Uh, We're the only one in this area that actually does hospice. And hospice for animals is, is different than hospice in a sense for people. Um, Hospice for Animals has, we have incorporated home euthanasia, where the animal that is suffering and terminally ill, there's no hope for that animal, um, we bring euthanasia to the homes where um, the animals are relaxed 
they can die at home. It's easier for the owner and it's easier for the pet. Mm -hmm. um, we also help uh, with pending our, our, uh, our finance finances. We help, we can help with uh, medication for end stage. We can help with um, some financial things for people who can't afford it for their animal. Now, the other part of the name is Tracy's. Yes, Tracy was my dog. She was my first hospice patient. I took her home to die. Oh. And I thought it was very important. I did not want her to die in a, a veterinarian's office. And she died at home. And how long ago was that? Oh, gee, 15, 16, 17 years, maybe. So... It actually started then, right after that? Yes, the organization started um, about two weeks after she passed. So when you went through this yourself, which any pet owner knows is a heart-gut-wrenching, heartbreaking thing that you just... But you were willing to then go ahead and say, I did this for Tracy and there must be others out there? Is oh, that absolutely. how it blossomed? It is, yes, absolutely. Uh, it's so needed. It's so needed. So when you're involved in something like this, Denise, again, it's uh, <laughs> it's such a... Uh, it's such a thing for to take on because you're almost reliving the same thing then. Do you... How does it work? Do well, you, are you the person that goes out there and makes the arrangements? Um, uh, Marty... Marty Coomer is our coordinator, and he does a lot of the arrangements on the phone with the veterinarian, with the family. You know, we approach subjects like, what are you going to do with the remains? You know, we get that all in preparation before it, the actual euthanasia. Um, now, sometimes we work with families for um, months before the animal is ready to be euthanized, and... Uh, <clears throat> we establish uh, a rapport with that family where they trust us, they call us, they, you know, they reach out to us for, for all different aspects of the animal's care. And uh, that's when it becomes em emotionally draining. But um, so far, we've, we've been good with it. But there's another aspect to your organization as well. Yes, there's actually several. One is... Uh, Adoption and rescue. We uh, rescue animals. That's on a very minimal scale right now. We um, basically do uh, animal rights issues. We work with the district attorney's offices and uh, the police departments to um, get animals to safety uh, out of the animal abuser's hands. And uh, we, we you know, it's a learning process as well for us. You know, we've learned a lot on the legal aspects of things. And um, we get them into uh, homes uh, when uh, we hold the criminal evidence, um, when the animal is abused. And, uh, you know, a lot of people don't like animal rights activists, but we try to work with the law and... Um, We've gained their trust, we've gained their respect, and uh, we'll go to any extreme to get that animal to safety within the realms of the law. And then when that happens, you 
then are able to, once a case is closed, you're able to find a home for that animal? Because again, some of these cases can drag on for a long time. Yes, our our most recent case, um, that uh, hung on for five and a half years. We had bills of 71 grand where um, the volunteers, my volunteers, again, they are amazing, amazing volunteers. Um, they actually uh, went out and solicited. They did fundraisers um, every weekend, and we paid our veterinarians all of that money. Wow. So now we're free and clear for this particular case, but we're working on other cases as well right now. And I guess it it, it is an interesting insight into that aspect, because when you think of a criminal case, sometimes there are animals involved, just like there are children involved. So would they come to you and say, we need to have these fostered? Or how how would all that work? Usually we, yeah, there are times when the police will reach out to us in a particular situation. Um, There are times when we are watching for many, many months and trying to gain our evidence for the police department and the district attorney's offices so that these animals can uh, come to safety and that these abusers can be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. And then do you you have to keep these animals? So um, Sometimes we do, yeah. Um, we had uh, 30 dogs from the recent case in Muzik. Um, uh, the, the majority of the dogs were in foster homes and they're specialized foster homes that we pick and we inspect. And um, again, these foster volunteers and families are exceptional, exceptional, because they take on these animals not knowing if we're going to win the case or not, and they're going to have to give them back. And uh, you know, they're just wonderful. They're just wonderful. There are very many wonderful animal people out there. What would you say at this, from what you've seen now, because you've been doing this for how long? 25 plus years. So you've seen a lot of changes. What would you say are some of the changes now that you're seeing with people and their pets, whether they're taking care of them, whether there's more hoarding issues, um, You know, it just seems like things would change over all that time. I do think in the aspect of the law, it's starting to change with Libra's law. Okay, that was a new law that was passed. But unfortunately, that law is not clearly defined. So um, the lawyers have a problem having the felony stick. Um, But right now, the felonies are, are our backbone right now. Are you seeing more hoarding situations? Um, I think you'll always see hoarding situations and puppy mills. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, the one in music, he was a puppy mill. I mean, uh, these dogs were, uh, they were starved. Um, The four Weimarimers that we had from the music case, they were starved. They were skin and bones. I mean, they were, they were very, very sick when we got them out of there. And, um, it was the music police, the district attorney's office, the federal prosecutors that helped us get these dogs to safety. 
And then when you have to, as you said about the whole idea of, I know that's something I would love to, but would never be able to do to foster the animals, because you're right, you grow such an attachment. And it must be very, um, it, it must take a very special person. And I know you mentioned them before, your volunteers. Yes. Where do they come from? Everywhere. <laughs> Everywhere. <laughs> and um, the best part about it is most of them seek, seek us out and say, hey, I want to help. I want to be on the animal rights team. Um, <clears throat> some of them will say, you know, I, I don't want to be on the animal rights team. I don't want to see what you do. I want to just fundraise and help you to mm-hmm. do your work. And it's not only dogs. You've been involved recently in some, uh, at least one incident that uh, cats. Oh, yes. Any animal. Any animal we work with. And do you foster those as well? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, We can. We haven't fostered any cats for criminal uh, issues. It's mostly been dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, we, we're open to anything like that. As far as the fundraising aspect is concerned, we may have some people who are listening today and saying, oh, I've heard of Tracy's Hope and Hospice. Yeah, we'd like to. How would how do they get in touch with you and maybe either find out about volunteering, helping out? Do you have anything coming up in the near future that might be a fundraising? I know you've been doing a lot of things recently. Yes, yes, we um, we do. We're doing a purse bingo in May, and that's one of our major fundraisers that helps us a lot um we have um something coming up at the steamtown mall pictures for pets and that's uh december 15th and that's from 12 noon until 5 and there will be many other rescues there um there will be dogs for adoption and things for sale we're having a bake sale a raffle we're raffling off a laptop computer that benefits the works of the animal rights team and uh, there's there's a lot coming up. Uh, you have a Facebook page. Yes, yes. You can reach out to us uh, through our Facebook page, Tracy's Hope Hospice. Um, you can keep up with our cases and our fundraisers on that page. We also have a website, and it's www.tracyshope.com. And... Uh, you can you can call us 570-457-1625. Denise, what would you like people to know before we let you go about what you've seen, um, animals? What would you like to leave them with? Because so many people just think, I adopt a puppy, I adopt a cat, I adopt a dog, I adopt any type of an animal. And at the, you know, it, it, we're getting into that holiday season too where animals can end up being part of the holiday presents, but they stick around. What would you like people to know from your experience? Um, well, we don't adopt animals out the whole month of December. But you see what happens to them. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. But, you know, I have to, <clears throat> I have to say the rescues in this area, um, we all know each other and the shelters as well. And, they do not adopt out in December <clears throat> for that reason, because it is not a good thing to give a pet to somebody as a gift. Um, I, I believe that you have to bond with that pet and that pet has to bond with you. 
And believe it or not, I feel 100% that the animal picks you. And to, to just pick an animal for someone else is wrong. You know, that has to be a personal experience. And be prepared to hang on for the long term. Right, right. Because an animal is old, because an animal is losing uh, losing uh, physical things, their bladder, and uh, you don't you don't give up on that animal. You wouldn't give up on your parents. Don't give up on an old animal. That's when they need you the most. You're in there for the long run. Take care of that animal because that animal has been loyal to you and has taken care of you in more ways than one. It's so important. And we're out there, hospice, we can help you with that. We can help you uh, get through all of the, uh, the illnesses and, and things that you encounter with an older pet. So once again, how do they get in touch with you? They can come to our Facebook page and uh, message us. Um, they can uh, call 570-457-1625. They can go to our website, www.tracyshope.com. They can donate on our website. They can mail in their checks. They can uh, attend our fundraisers. You know, no donation is too small. We've gotten older people, God love them, they'll send a card with $5 in it. It means more than anything, you know, because I know they're out there and they're trying to help us and that they love animals. And I can tell you do. Oh, yeah, they're my life. Thanks again to Denise Kumor from Tracy's Hope Hospice for joining us on Special Edition. Don't go away, there's still more Special Edition yet to come. Welcome back to Special Edition. If you've ever had the urge to start putting your thoughts on paper, maybe you just needed a little bit more inspiration. Well, local author Tom Sarah took some of our area's history and used it as part of his inspiration to write his book, The Black Rose. The chapter that begins the book starts with an invitation, and once you get through that chapter, your invitation is to continue reading. Tom, welcome. Glad to have you here. Oh, thank you for having me. And one of the reasons that you're here is because it's nice to know that there are people here in Northeast Pennsylvania who are doing things that maybe we don't realize that they're even from here. You are a writer, an author. How did you get involved in deciding that this is something you wanted to do? Well, my parents always told me stories when I was a kid and I always found them very interesting. And it's funny, they instilled the want to be a writer in me. And when I went to them, I was probably 17 or 18 years old and said to them, I wanted to be a writer. And they kind of laughed at it and said, no, that's not something you'll ever make money at. Um, you need to go to school, get an education. And so it's, I always found it cute that they, they were the ones that instilled the writing want in me and then said, not a good idea. Give us a little bit of your background. You're a Northeast Pennsylvania resident. Uh, born and raised in Scranton, uh, one of eight children. I was educated in the Scranton School District and went to the University of Scranton. 
So when you went on, or even when you were in high school, did you do any type of dabbling? I, I was always writing a little bit, notes here and there, poems here and there, but um, nothing. I don't know if I ever really considered it until one day I wrote something for a school project, and I wasn't that great a student, but when I wrote something and I got an A for it, it kind of said, okay, I think that's really what I want to do. So one thing I was good at. So again, it was one of those things where you're starting out and you don't really have a plan, but it was kind of that you fell into it. Now, what about in college? There? Well, yeah, I went to the University of Scranton and I had a creative writing course. Uh, I was a psychology major, actually. Um, but I had a course with uh, Rory, Rory Giovannucci. Yes. He's, you know Rory? Oh, yes. Um, great guy. And he made a comment about one of my writing projects, and he said, there's not much I can teach you. You already know how to write. So I always carried that with me. So. Oh, that's a nice way to start out. Yeah. <laughs> now, let's talk a little bit then how you went into, because you have one book published, mm -hmm. and yeah. how did that come about? Well, I was actually, I was working as a hotel manager, and I had some health issues, which forced me into an early retirement. And as I was sleeping, this story kept going on in my head to the point where I couldn't sleep. So I got up that morning. It was probably 4 a.m. I went down to my computer, and I started typing. And it was probably two days later when I stepped away from my computer and went, wow, there was a story there. And it just kept coming, even after I did that. And it took me about a year to write the whole thing, but the story kept coming in my head. It was like a voice that was telling me the whole story, and I was just dictating. Wow. So it was it was an incredible experience, really. That is, that is incredible, because, again, you think that when people sit down to write, at least I, I think they research and they start to do things. But yours was just more of a flow of consciousness. Yes. Now, as I wrote it and went into the rewrite of it, I had to do some rewriting, um, some researching and cleaning things up here and there um, to get more accurate information because it's based in the early 1900s so, and it's in this area. So I wanted to know quite a bit more about the, uh, the area and the special things about uh, Wilkes-Barre and Scranton in the early 1900s. Is it something that when you you said that you just started having this going through your head and going through your head, it, it where did it come from? I don't know. Really? Honestly, I wish I could tell you, but I don't know. It was like a voice that was just telling me the story. Well, that's one of the reasons that I like to have local folks who um, have been able to follow what they would like to do because you're a perfect example then. Someone has an idea and you tell them, follow it. Yeah, follow it, always. Um, I joined up with a writer's group after I published the book because I needed to get better at what I was doing. And who better to learn from than other writers? And it was a Northeast Pennsylvania writer's group. Uh, very nice group, meet over at the Taylor uh, uh, Library every other Wednesday. And I learned so much from them that as I continued to write, I found my writing getting better and better. My short stories were crisper. They had better ideas, better characters. Um, one uh, gentleman in the group was very good at writing dialogue, which maybe wasn't something I really learned how to do. And 
I got so much better just from learning from them. So if I was to suggest anything to new writers, get with other writers. Learn from each other. That's, uh, that's a great way to get better at your, your art, your craft. See, and that's another one of those things where I didn't even realize something like that existed. Well, there are quite a few actually in the area, and that's the one that I hooked up with. Oh, that's great. Now, I, again, let's go back a little bit. When you first started, you were talking about high school and college, and that was long before all of the social networking and internet and all that. Absolutely true. So, what happened? You know, you made this transition now, and and it must have it must have helped. Yeah, um, actually, right after high school, I worked for a bi-monthly tabloid, um, and that was the first time I got anything published, and I thought that was going to be it. And then life took me in other directions. So it took me a long time to get back to what I really needed to be doing. And once I got started, uh, I just haven't stopped. So so now you also mentioned short stories. Mm-hmm. Are they yes. published or are they? Uh, I've had uh, two short stories published. I've had a few poems published. So, so it's, it's so slow. It, it's not an easy business. There is... No easy answer to getting published. Right. You just have to put yourself out there and keep trying. They say that you have to put in 100 queries uh, to get one exception. Wow. And that's the business. really is. Wow. Um, Unless you're an established author, it's not easy. Well, let's talk about your book because, again, that one is published. It's hardcover, and it looks – I mean, it's it's not a small book. (laughs) <laughs> so, so a lot of a lot of work went into it. What's work, the basis of, of it? Um, it follows the chronicles of an Irish family, uh, their time in Ireland, and how they journeyed to the United States and settled in New York City for a little while. But the fates kind of pushed them into northeastern Pennsylvania, where they settled in a small mining town called Ashley. Oh, yeah. that sounds familiar. Um, the family um, as Again, as the fates took it, time takes its toll until there's only one left to the family, and that's Rose. And the rest of it, you're going to have to read the book. (laughs) (laughs) What's the name of it? It's Black Rose. Black Rose. So that could mean many connotations as in evil, as in um, there was the, the... the uh, shanty Irish, there was the black Irish there. So I can see where the Northeast Pennsylvania comes in here. Yes. And uh, because it's set in the early 1900s, there are historical sites that I mentioned. The Uber Calorie is, uh, actually is in the shadow of the Uber Calorie, or it was. Um, the Hotel Sterling, which is there's a nice scene with a uh, Christmas party uh, at the Hotel Sterling back when it was a popular place to be. Uh, and things like that. The... Um, the trolley rides from Scranton to Rocky Glen. Absolutely. Um, and some people don't even know this, that there was once a, uh, a robbery on the, uh, the trolley in the 1920s. Uh, the miners used to travel with their payroll on the trolley. And some disgruntled ex-employees decided they were going to steal the payroll. Oh. A few people were shot. They jumped off the trolley somewhere around what we, we would call Davis Street now. Yes. Grabbed a, uh, got into a car, abandoned the car in Old Forge. Um, they were, a few of them were caught up to in Ohio. And the one uh, criminal said, you're not going to take me alive. He put the gun in his mouth. Oh. 
and blew out the side of his face. Oh. He didn't kill himself. Oh. He was electrocuted later on, so. Wow. So, and that's a true story. That's a true story, yes. And that's in the book. And that, that must have taken a little bit of, because I've never heard that one before. Took a little bit of research, and I went down to the trolley museum. They were very helpful, and everything I wanted to do, they were very helpful. That's amazing. So, and researching even the way the tracks ran out to Hoboken, um, things like that, they were very helpful with helping me get the background correct. I didn't even know the Charlie tracks went all the way to Hoboken. They did. I know, yeah. I know definitely Rocky Glen, but I uh, didn't no, not know. the trolley tracks, not the train to oh, Hoboken. Oh, the, the train. about the train to Hoboken. Oh, okay. But they helped me with all, of, all the information that I needed for background. See, and it's all... And I hate to use the cliche, but it's it's all here in our own backyard. Yes, the, the, there's such a rich history here. Uh, like I said, I've grown up here. I have left the area a few times, but there's something about here that's comfortable to me. I'm always going to be from northeastern Pennsylvania, no matter where I go. That's where I'm from. Wow. And it, when, um, when you talk about your book, if someone would like to, because I, I think knowing people from Northeast Pennsylvania who have gotten in contact with with me uh, through this program that we're doing today are always interested in history, in mining, in preserving history. How would someone be able to get a hold of your book? Okay, you can get it at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or through the publisher's site, AuthorHouse.com. Great! And occasionally I have a couple of copies that I sell. <laughs> well, I, I would hope. Busy though. <laughs> so, what's next? What's next? I I've been working the sequel. I, I know it's a long time coming. It's been four years since this came out, but there are so many people that are looking for the sequel. It's not as easy a task as uh, you would think. And I do have another book that I'm working on also. That's a little further along, and hopefully that will be going to a publisher soon. Um, I'm going to try and market it, get an agent, and get it sold. Hopefully, are, very soon. Are you keeping along the same lines now with the with the second book as with, sticking along with local history? With the sequel, yes. And what about the other book that oh, you're? Oh no, that's that's a little bit different. Oh, <laughs> sneak peek. Um, it's sci-fi uh, with a twist to it. Let's put it that way. Oh, where I'm intrigued. That sounds like a lot of fun. Um, it is a great story to write, and that's the one thing when I'm when I am writing a story, and when it's a very good story, I really enjoy it. And there's so much pleasure I get out of creating the characters. And one thing I found interesting with Black Rose, when I had to kill characters off, <gasps> they had become friends of mine as I was developing the story. So when they had to die, it was hard for me. Oh, so I find it I find it tough. How do you write? Um. Well, that's an interesting question. I just sit down and I go. The thoughts come into my head and I just type away. Are you at a Are you at a computer stationary? Are you at a beach? Are you? Uh... I I can do it anywhere, but usually I do it in my apartment. I just sit and I. And if you get an idea, you immediately put it to paper. I uh, most of the time, and if I'm not um, near my computer, I usually keep a notepad or something around that I'll write little notes in, uh, jot down. I remember. Um, waiting for someone, I had to take them for a doctor's exam, and sitting in the waiting room and wrote probably seven or eight pages while I was sitting there because the thought came to me and I just started writing. See, now, isn't that amazing? Here you are sitting in a doctor's waiting room next to someone who has no idea yeah. 
that you're crafting a, a novel right next to them. Yeah, I, I think I wrote uh, part of a chapter to Black Rose sitting in a doctor's office. That is awesome. It's it just a matter of if it comes to you, you don't want to let it get away. So get it down on paper. And you may look at it later and go, oh, that's not so good. But it might be, it might be a gem. So you don't want to let it get away. Strike while the iron's hot. Right. Tom, Sarah, author, once again, tell us how we can get a hold of your book. Okay. Or, or is there a way that folks can get a hold of you if they would have some questions? You can always uh, find me via email at uh, tac130b at gmail.com. Okay. And, and the book and, again? And I'm on Facebook. The book is Black Rose, and it's available through Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and the publisher's site, AuthorHouse.com. That's author Tom Sira and his book, The Black Rose. And just a reminder, Veterans Day is Sunday. The Gino Murley Veterans Center celebrates 25 years of caring for veterans with an open house on Veterans Day, Sunday, November 11th, from noon until 3 at the site at 401 Penn Avenue in Scranton. The Wyoming Valley Veterans Parade steps off Sunday afternoon at 2 on Market Street in Kingston and makes its way to Public Square in Wilkes-Barre. And there will be traffic issues on the Harrison Avenue Bridge in Scranton on Sunday from 9 a.m. until 1. That's for the rededication of the Colonel Francis J. Duffy Memorial Park at the southern side of the Duffy Memorial Bridge, Crown Avenue at Music Street in Scranton. If the play may be the thing this weekend, King's College Theatre Department is presenting It's Only a Play. Performances are this weekend and next weekend. Also, the Misericordia Players are presenting Charles Dickens' Nicholas Nickleby. Performances again this weekend at the Le Mans Theatre in Walsh Hall at Misericordia University. Also this weekend, The Little Mermaid is being presented by the Holy Redeemer Community in Wilkes-Barre. They have a performance again on Saturday evening. And also Starlight Express, presented by Phoenix Theaters in honor of its 10th anniversary. The performances there are again this weekend and next weekend at the Phoenix Performing Arts Center on Main Street in Durier. And of course, don't forget, Saturday, November 17th, Santa Claus is coming to town. The jolly old elf will be arriving in downtown Scranton. The Santa Parade there will be kicking off Saturday morning. And then, Saturday afternoon, Santa Claus will arrive in downtown Wilkes-Barre during their Santa Parade in the afternoon. It's going to be a great day of fun. The Knights of Columbus St. Anne's Council 12572 will hold their annual Breakfast with Santa Sunday, November 25th from 9 a.m. till 1 p.m. in the St. Anne's Shrine Dining Room, featuring eggs, pancakes, home fries, and sausage, as well as a basket raffle and pictures with Santa. Tickets are $8 for adults and $6 for children. Kids under two eat free. You can purchase tickets online at ScrantonKnights.com. Join us for the Knights of Columbus Council 12572 Breakfast with Santa Sunday, November 25th, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. at St. Anne's Basilica in Scranton. You have the right to feel safe in your home. 
This includes the right under federal fair housing laws to be free from unwanted sexual conduct. I'm United States Attorney David Freed. The Department of Justice wants you to know that if you have been sexually harassed by a landlord or property manager, a loan officer or housing official, a maintenance worker or security guard, you can do something about it. Contact us at 844-380-6178 or email fairhousing at usdoj.gov. You have rights under the Fair Housing Act. Call 844-380-6178 or email fairhousing at usdoj.gov. Everyone has the right to feel safe at home. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories, a production of Intercom Communications. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.